Hello, hello. We're recording and welcome everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Undefeated Underdogs uh, episode one. This one is kind of special to me in many ways and especially for two reasons. One is I'm recording this episode for the first time, like, you know, in my entire life, I've never thought I would be like a host. And number two, I'm doing this with none other than the legendary Jack Butcher, who's like a good friend of mine, who's like, a, you know, like an inspirational figure to me. And yeah, thanks, Jack, for coming in. I just want to like quickly, uh, you know, give, give a brief intro about yourself and maybe like we, we kick things starts there. Where should I start about Jack? He is he's one of the amazing, most creative thinkers of our generation, I would say. Uh, he taught a lot of people uh, how to become a creator, how to productize themselves. And, and if you build once, you can sell infinite times. And he's like the real proof, you know, uh, for that. He's a founder, he's a teacher, he's a designer, creator, a father. And most importantly to me, I think he's a giver. He genuinely wants to help other people. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. He supported me in many of my endeavors. Uh, I'm so stoked to have you, Jack. Welcome to the show. And I appreciate you. Mate, thank you very much for that kind intro too. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's kick things start. I have like so many things, honestly, I want to cover, but we only have limited time. But uh, I just want to like right off the bat, uh, I want to like uh, understand your, let's go back to your early days where you moved to the US, where I think in your early 20s, I guess, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you started working for advertising agencies. Uh, you know, being an immigrant is tough. And of course, you know, you know the struggle and I'm, I'm a, I myself am an immigrant. How was it like, you know, what was your mindset back then and how did you navigate the the initial barriers per se as, as a, as an immigrant in the U S. Yeah. So I, I must've been, I think 21 or 22 when I first mm -hmm. got to America, I did have like a couple of acquaintances that I knew through friends of mine from home that came to the States. So I was, mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't completely on my own. There was a couple guys I knew that grew up in the same town as me. They weren't like, um, I became friends with them, but when, when I got here, they weren't uh, my best of friends. So hmm. I um, started off, I remember getting off the uh, subway in Brooklyn in like, uh, if anyone knows New York, it's off the L train, the Halsey right. stop on the L train. Right. And uh, I got off, I had my one bag, uh, wow. what I was wearing, that was it. And uh, I just had an email with this guy that, said yeah i'll meet you when you come over to new york and uh i was sleeping on a sofa in a uh apartment of a guy who i almost knew was someone that he met the week right. before or something so it was pretty uh it was pretty last minute and kind of <laughs> just going for it so i just got on the plane got here right. and uh was winging it essentially for hmm. at least six months or so. So my first, wow. my first 12 months, actually, I, I moved to a different apartment every month. So I'd go on Craigslist on the 31st of the month, try and find a room for rent. Wow. My budget was, I think 300 bucks a month for, for, uh, <laughs> lodging back then. So that was like, you know, anybody with a sofa that needed 300 bucks, there wasn't many people. Right. And I'll just go wherever. So 12 different apartments for 12 months. And, uh, hmm. 
man it was fun i loved it though like it was uh it was so i was so excited to be in like the environment i was in and the mm. work itself was just like so many orders of magnitude beyond right. what i was doing back at home like the brands i was working with the people i got to meet the um you know even the little errands that i would run i was just getting pumped up by like right. being involved in this stuff so i think i was just running on adrenaline for that first year at the, at least maybe a couple of years um but i loved it uh so i think I you think actually kind of used it as a fuel instead of like seeing it as an obstacle you actually cherished uh the present which is crashing people's couches meeting i think new people every month uh making friendships eating cheap food just like get just like <laughs> hustling man yeah it was hustling. fun like i think i'm sure at the time there were moments where uh i was uh i especially like the place some of the places i stayed where it was like so loud you couldn't sleep i got a good story i had to buy a vibrating alarm clock for one of the um <laughs> one of the places i i stayed because i had to put earplugs and wow i mask because this place was like on a train track and every 10 minutes a train would come by wow so i had to get a um and there was this like uh strobe light outside the bedroom window so that would wow. vibrate an alarm clock to wake me up that was a pretty rough month but um yeah it was a fun it was like i said like the pros far outweighed the cons like i loved the work and uh mm. at the time I was like I'm just getting all this experience whatever happens I'm going to have had you know a year or two in this environment and then I can go and build up a portfolio and hopefully get access to other opportunities wherever this ends up going so I was just very um grateful to be in the position I was in to to get exposure to all that stuff I don't again right. I think people there's some rose tinted glasses where everyone looks back is like it was the best time ever but I genuinely was <laughs> I genuinely mm. loved it No I think you seem you seem kind of like a guy who immerse yourself into work and when I say work it means play to you and I see you post you know these tweets you you just go ballistic sometimes and I I can resonate with you know with myself because when I get a thought I just tweet the same way you tweet that I took that playbook from you by the way and I feel like yeah I feel you know when you when you kind of like immerse yourself into what you do which is what you love these things uh won't feel like an obstacle and i think the follow up question there is uh just got curious there you've made a million dollars i think more than that you know uh recently last year and you've built this mega media empire of yourself uh and you're still i guess a two person team you and celia your wife mhm reflecting back uh it, wh- what was like how how did you you know everyone manifested like you will reach certain stage living in a noisy apartment in brooklyn juggling between trains eating like ramen what what was your manifestation process i'm just curious yeah so honestly the getting into it going back before i was even in new york my work experience i worked in a honda factory for 9 months oh. i worked in a industrial shredders I worked in uh hairdressers like sweeping the floor in a hairdresser's like I worked did wow. all these different jobs and uh my last uh I worked in a printers in uh the town I grew up in in the UK as well and that was kind of like this there's there's two points one 
a cousin of mine worked in a design studio. Mm. When I was 16, I got to go and do work experience in the design studio with him. Well, and that kind of planted this idea in my head that I think going through those other working experiences, I was like, man, some people are getting paid to sit in front of a computer all day and come up with <laughs> logos, right? right. Design magazines and all this stuff. And then right. the second point, I was working in this uh, printers and one of the clients of the printers was this beautiful graphic design magazine. Mm. And I picked it up one day. I'm like, man, there's somebody is sitting in front of a computer somewhere working on this thing. And I'm like in this dusty warehouse running the, you know, the paper through the printer. Right. And uh, that I think was like always in the back of my mind. And then getting to just do that for a living was just amazing. Like I wasn't mm. even really, fo I wanted enough, I want to make enough money to, to, um, be able to support myself. And I was, you know, single dude in right. New York. It's not, you don't need to make silly amounts of money, but you need to make a decent living just to, right. to kind of participate and pay your rent and all that good stuff. So I remember when I got off of my first full-time job in New York, I had to ask people like, is this enough money to survive? I have no idea how much it costs to live here. Cause I've been living on sofas. Right. And I, <laughs> hopefully I can get off the sofa. Is this enough right. to get off the sofa? <laughs> and uh, people are like, yeah, you'd be fine on that. Like get a roommate, whatever you'll be fine. And then, uh, I didn't even really realize what the economic upside in design was. I had no idea like where that capped out. Like, I think a lot of people get into technology and stuff like that because they mm -hmm. see that's where the money is. And mm -hmm. like, you know, if you're a product manager with 10 years experience, you'll make 800 right. grand or whatever it is at of these course. big, big firms. Right. But I didn't get into it with that. I didn't grow up around that culture. Like having a job that you enjoy that paid you decent money is like, you made it, you're good. So it took me probably seven years to go through enough agency jobs mm. where I was like, I'm making, I'm making great money, traveling, got the expense account, like living good. Right. And then, uh, just realizing when you get to a certain point, you start to see the numbers. So you go right. into the meetings where they're budgeting out the jobs and you see what they're billing your time out at. You see like how many people are working on this thing, what this project costs. Hmm. And that's only then was my mind starting to turn where I was like, Hmm, hang on a minute. I feel like I'm doing X amount of work and I'm getting, you know, 2% mm -hmm. of what this job is, is paying. Hmm. And there's some degree of like, uh, arrogance in that too. I was like, I could do all of this by myself, right? I could, you don't need a project manager. You don't need this. You know, I can do all right. of it. Right. And I was mid twenties. So that, I think that kind of comes with the territory a bit as well. Right. <laughs> you just like feel like you got they, all the energy in the world. You, you just like, I can do anything. The, so the young blood, I would say. Exactly. Exactly. And I, <laughs> like I lent into that a lot and some of that was naive, but others like you learn lessons fast. So right. started my own agency based on that insight where I was like, I could be capturing more of this but all i knew was that model right so all i could do is like try and build a competitor to the thing that i'd been working in because that was my world that's the only way i understood how any of this stuff works and like the only advantage i would have was just being like you have to be 10 times better but you're still mm. like operating as like build the pitch deck go in and convince them and then just try right. and deliver the work faster that's really it right. so uh long-winded way to answer the question it was never about money nor did i even think there was like a path to mm. like 
outsized income from working in this world. I was just like very happy to be able to get to do this for a living and not be like screwing exhausts onto Honda Civics. You know, <laughs> you know that, that, that's uh, I feel like you, you've covered some amazing points there. I think you're, you're, you're naive enough to like acknowledge and your self-aware awareness uh, actually helped you in a way, right? Like you, you don't know how to live in Brooklyn, New York, that kind of like make you curious, number one. And the the next thing which you covered is you kind of sensed an opportunity, a gap where you can chime in and take advantage of it, which is I can do this all by myself. Why, why should I work for some agency, get 2% of the cut, you know, when yeah. they're paying like for freaking logo, they might pay 100K, you know? Right, and, right, right. It's outrageous to some of the stuff you saw. Exactly. And I think there I have a very interesting, uh, I guess, just got, want to get in, dive deeper into your mind. You've d- never done that before, meaning you never run uh, an agency before. But no. where did you get that confidence? I, I, th- I see like a lot of people see that arrogance, but I see more from a confidence standpoint. You're like, I can do this, you know? Uh, where, is it like from your family or f- from friends? Who influenced you? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, again, like some of this, I'll be like retrofitting, like things that I think it was. I don't know if this was it, but (laughs) I'm going to guess. Right. So I think one of the things that, one of the things from being in those environments and just feeling like lucky to be there, Mm. one of the things that that made me do was just like go absolutely nuts, like work like crazy. Like you would Mm. have competition among your peers in an agency environment where it's like this designer, this art director against me and Mm. we'll go and like, you'd have three days and then you present your concepts. I'd never lose ever. Mm. It was like, no one's going to beat me. Right. And I think a lot of the people that I was up against were maybe further into their careers or had more options to move around different agencies. And I mean, maybe someone can correct me, Come mm. back and tell me if I ever lost one of those battles, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure I never did because I just, I felt so fortunate to be in a position where right. that was my job. Right. And I think having that attitude in those agencies specifically was like, got me exposed to selling the work into. So mm. if you come up with an idea and you've thought about it to such a ridiculous extent, that you like the idea is yours. You've presented it in a way that the people who would traditionally go in the room and present it are like, you right. just sell it yourself. I know you love it. Just go and do it yourself. Right. So even a couple of weeks into my bigger agency jobs, I was in front of clients. And that is like, that's what an agency is. That's all it is. It's like, obviously right. you have to execute on the back end. I already know I could do True. that. But the real leverage in the agency business is being able to go into a room and explain someone's business to them better than they understand it basically and they're Mm. like we trust that you can tell this story or you can build this product or you can do whatever and then i think like slowly you kind of just erode away the belief that everybody ahead of you is better than you or everybody that's been in the building longer than you knows more than you do and a lot Mm. of times in those big businesses they're just skating along like a lot of people are just trying to like collect their paycheck not disrupt anything too much and i think that like that young energy too is just like yeah it's kind of crazy what you can what you can accomplish when you're like on a roll like that 
Mm. And like, I was kind of all or nothing. I'm in New York. I'm away from my family. I've made a huge sacrifice to be in this position. I'm not going to like phone it in. You know, I'm not going to like (laughs) show up and like do the bare minimum. Like I've made a massive decision to be here. So I'm going to get something out of it. So in a way, I think, uh, your your attitude towards being grateful that you have the opportunity number one number two the competitiveness that i want to beat the other guy or i want to present my idea in a better way and i think the third thing is you're playing high stakes high stakes game you know you left everything and you moved to this new city i feel and of course on top of it you have this adrenaline young blood i feel that's rare i feel i hope you're missing that today <laughs> i'm missing that from mine uh i love 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 your perspective and i feel for people who are listening i think it's a uh, it's it's not like you 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 make it overnight it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of perseverance and having these uh you know like going all in attitude really helps i, I think in my opinion right uh love love that and i i i have like a an immediate question i think you you might have at least uh you know guessed it which is you've worked in a, in all these agencies and you kind of like you know i don't want to dive into how you because you've you've uh, kind of answered a lot of these questions in other podcasts which is uh how visualize value came and you saw the opportunity of like you know and in your website you talked about fun and freedom in your about page how important is freedom to you you know and i think uh what what at what point in this whole journey you're like you know what fuck it let's actually try to be uh try to achieve that yeah i mean it's very important to me i think again there's degrees of it within like every situation i've been in where like there's a trade-off in each situation like i had freedom like i had creative freedom Mm. after a couple of years in my career where like do whatever you want like we trust you pitch whatever you want put the budget together if they buy it then you get to execute on it great that's freedom like to some extent that's freedom right and then Mm maybe at some point you run into a barrier where it's like somebody tells you you can't do that or like mm-hmm. client says oh my you know we took this to the layer above us and they decided that they don't want to do it mm-hmm. and i'm not saying that's not freedom there's like just varying degrees within all these things but when i start to run into walls where i'm like i'm frustrated like i want to make this or i want to do this and there's somebody else who rightly so has the authority to say no fine right. I've like, I'm sign out. I'm collecting my paycheck. If you don't want to do it, fine. All I can do is try and convince you. Um, and then, uh, just slowly like edging away into different environments where it's like, okay, now I want to do, I want to try and start an agency business. Mm. So I've got freedom to pitch whoever I want to work as long as I want to wake up when I want and where I want. But at the same time, I don't have the, the monthly paycheck coming in. Mm. So I don't have the freedom to go out to dinner five you know, times a month, whatever mm. I was doing before. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's all like, it's all a sliding scale. There's all trade-offs involved in all of this. And then I think what, if to sustain like doing your own thing all the time, like to want to build a business and to like keep at it, 
that trade-off is responsibility, right? It's like you have mm. the responsibility to make something work, make something happen over and over and over again. And if mm. you feel like you're losing the ability to do that, you have to trade back a little bit of your freedom to right. say whatever you want or you know make whatever you want for some constraint on the other side. So it's definitely important to me, but I also recognize it's like, it's a very nuanced idea. And mm. for some people, freedom might mean not having to worry about your job on a weekend. I wake yeah. up every day and sometimes wake up in the middle of the night with an idea where I'm like, I have to do, I have to get this down. Right. 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 If, if I don't remember this thing, then that's like something that I could have made happen that I didn't right. Right. versus like, Oh, I'm going to still have a job next year. Maybe it'll come back to me, you know? So it's, I, it's different. It's what you care about. I think changes right. your definition of freedom, in my opinion. And and what pushed you? I think you 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 should have satisfied yourself when you had like the freedom. I think creative freedom is really like you know uh, satisfying, right? Because you could get to do what you want at the same time you get paid. And why didn't you get satisfied or like say you know what? I'm I'm cool with this. Uh, yeah. I think there's, I think it's fine, like pushing your own limit. I think mm. when you feel like you subtly have a sense that you're like, I could be doing more. I could be failing more. Like mm. this is getting a bit too easy, right? Like there's, <laughs> if you're going in and you're winning every situation you're in or like every, um, you feel like you're hitting ceilings. The, the irony is like you have to, you can come from an agency environment where you're talking to like CEOs of right. fortune 50 companies, right? Like right. you're doing like you're at the top of the corporate American hierarchy. Right. And then you go and start your own business and you're working like a five grand job for a startup. Mm -hmm. Like it's a completely, you're going from like a $10 million yep. contract that you're True. a tiny part of right. to a, like something that you own, but it's completely different scale. Right. So there's like an ego thing too that mm. that is difficult to manage. And, you know, maybe there are some instances where people go directly out of one environment and into the same, but for themselves. But I right. tend to think you have to kind of jump down a few levels right. and, and, and settle somewhere and work your way back up. But that to me was like, how much, like how much further can you go under some other banner? In mm. the agency world, like, the currency is very different. It's like, there's a lot of awards. So it's a lot of mm -hmm. like, <laughs> lots of, a lot of, yeah, the competition between the industry versus right. making the thing better for the better. business or right. understanding what metric you're actually trying to improve. There's a lot of, uh, yeah, carrot chasing is a good way to think about it. And mm -hmm. Again, if that's what you like doing, you should definitely do that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but yep. I didn't. So uh, that I think was the was the push. Was like I keep hitting these ceilings, or there must be someone else I can do, or like the environment doesn't quite allow for mm -hmm. all of the experiments that I want to run, things like that. And again, the timing in my life also coincided with like being able to stay awake 20 hours a day. And mm -hmm. you know, it's that, that's definitely yes. a factor too. Right. Yeah. I love that. I think, uh, you know, I feel, uh, 
it's that urgency you have to create for yourself that that helps you cross boundaries you know or else you just like you know stagnate yourself where you are uh i do have like a question on on i think you admire him i personally admire him as well and i know you when you had around i think 5000 followers on twitter uh when i was actually working on this side project called the angel philosopher which is like a, a big remember, app, yeah big uh, you know uh, a, a, a simple project but an, an ambition to like bring everything what naval ravikan created as a content and put it under one place and you were one of the first persons to approach me and say hey hey random guy i've created this free posters for iphone like wallpapers i would love to be part of the the project and i still remember actually like you know uh, gave gave that to like many me folks too. like yeah so my question is like how much you know he kind of like tweeted this many times basically productizing yourself right and you literally did that and this is the result visualize value all the web3 projects you did uh the 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 courses you know the audience building and everything and how much influence do you think he played you know and when when did that become like a key factor for you because you saw many people i'm sure right you have your uh mentors icons heroes mm-hmm. you, know, you look up to when did naval oh, like huge join to that list so i'm trying to pinpoint it but the way i've talked about it or tried to describe how impactful it was it's kind of the you know that idiom the when the when the student is ready the teacher appears it appears by itself that yeah. idea yeah 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 so that to me was a, a great way of describing it because i've been in this agency world for 10 years mm. so i hadn't been really exposed to any of these like silicon valley software principles and right. i imagine obviously Naval's experience investing building software companies talking to founders mm-hmm. like all of the different there's so much variety in all of that subject matter but there's also these principles that just right. run across everything and i think what how to get rich without getting lucky pulls right. out are those truths that are consistent across all of these different endeavors and right. obviously in the human experience itself but i'd never been really exposed to it i kind of understood software i use software every day obviously <laughs> but never thought of myself as a developer of or a mm-hmm. uh you know a purveyor of software right 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 so that that set or those set of principles i should say combined with all of the knowledge and experience that i'd accrued just had this like perfect um mm. it's just this inflection point where i was like wait a minute <laughs> all of the stuff he's describing is like this thing that it's on my tongue but i can't quite describe why i'm frustrated right. with all the things that i'm doing or why i can't break through this wall or why this agency business just feels like i'm running my body into the ground and, mm. and getting no uh not no upside from it but it just feels like a really 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 difficult thing to crack mm. and it wasn't really aligned with my strengths like growing an agency business 
is essentially building a competitor to all the businesses that I'd worked at before, exactly. which require me to go and hire a bunch of people, get real estate, right. do all of this stuff. Basically, uh, entertain all of these clients that want to come to New York for five days and go to nice mm. restaurants. And I'm just not, that's not for me. Like, <laughs> right. I'm not going to do that. Right. I've discovered these ideas. I'd been pivoting the agency business away from corporate, um, you know, like these big corporate clients where you just do basically anything they tell you to do. Mm. We have this. Okay, I'll find a freelancer to do it. We've got this other project. Okay, I'll find... And you just, like, you spread yourself really thin. Right. So I'm deviating from the question here, but those principles no. help me evaluate every iteration from that point forward. It's almost... I've always uh, used this analogy in loads of different contexts, but after you find out Santa isn't real, when you spot your mum in the corner of the room <laughs> bringing the presents in... Right. <laughs> it's like that realization where you can't wake up the next day and be like, I wonder if Santa's going to come this year. Like the right. illusion is broken. <laughs> so once you know that, I love that. You just, you have to start doing everything differently, right? Even if right. you try and go back to it, you're just, why am I doing this to myself? Like, I know that there's a better way here. And even if I'm going to try and fail, I'd rather be on the other side of that paradigm mm. than pretending that Santa is real every day. So right. that was, uh, I, that was what, I, like, if I had to condense mm. what Naval's writing did for me, it was that level of epiphany that I had right. after reading his stuff. I think the, the, what you're saying is more importantly, uh, surrounding our having that fundamentals, not necessarily, you don't need to be like a developer and building a right. founding companies before, but you can still take and apply to make it relevant to yourself. You know, whatever the thing you did. I think even I am personally uh, got a lot of epiphany, education, kind of like this light bulb moment after reading that thread. And he talks about leverage, building leverage, putting skin in the game and building proof of work and collaborating with people who you work with for the rest of the years, like, you know, 10 years, 20 years, play the long game. And there are like certain fundamentals that will like really like mess up your mind because you, like you said, once you know the truth, there is no going back. Mm -hmm. Once you know there is no Santa, you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. How would I celebrate Christmas next year, right? Right, 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 right. But still, I think you will figure it out your way. And in your kind of curiosity doubles down. And I think you kind of like execute on top of these fundamentals. I love that. I feel like for people who are listening, uh, they should definitely read Novals, how to get rich uh, thread. It's it's a it's a bible for you know for many folks. And I want to cover one more thing, Jack. Uh, you're a big big advocate of permissionless execution, and you kind of like created a big course on it, right? And you did permissionless execution for Naval himself. The the wallpaper mm -hmm. stake is an example. He, converting his quotes into you know these beautiful minimal minimalistic posters. Uh, and when did you realize the power of it? And I want to know, like, uh, when did you, when, when did that light bulb moment went like, you know what, might as well package this so other folks can take advantage of it. So I had the light bulb moment. Well, let's say a dim light bulb moment many years <laughs> before this. Oh, so this was again, when I described that these principles were like on the tip of my tongue. Before I had, mm. before I saw Naval articulate them, 
I worked in an agency business and there was this amazing agency. I, I don't know if they're still around or not called fantasy interactive. Mm-hmm. I didn't work there. This was like grail, you know, my dream right. job. Right. And they used to do, um, like proof of concept mm. videos. Right. So they would build like made up UIs for the one I remember was, um, like the future of air travel. Wow. So here's what we think the future of air travel should look like from a UI UX perspective. Here's a bunch of really beautiful screens mm. animated showing the UX experience, how we would change it, what, you know, all of these different, maybe even technically infeasible at the time mm. ideas, but they're showing their thinking. And I was working at an agency at the time and I was just, looking around, I was like, these guys have figured it out. Like they'll just sit and do that. <laughs> right. And then they can book a hundred meetings with every airline in the world. Right. And somebody will say, yeah, just put our logo in the top corner and build it. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Versus what we were doing, which was sending people to, I don't know, Soho house or something and trying to eavesdrop on a conversation and then mm. like keep up a relationship for two years. And then eventually maybe they send you an email asking you to, uh, come up with an idea for an email campaign that they want to run. Something. It's right. just. It's a really bizarre way of doing business, hmm. and I mean, it's huge, still going on, and I don't think there's any end in sight. Right. But it's very different than, hey, let's generate the demand ourselves and actually go to market with something that we believe in, and then have a conversation from that perspective versus like chasing this right. opportunity or just responding to the whims of all these companies. And, um, Oh, permissionless. So <laughs> that was the first, that was the first time I realized it. And then the business model prevents you from doing that in those environments because right. you have to bill your hours mm-hmm. to a client that's Who's, paying you. Right. Yeah. Or you have exist, to say, right. Yeah. Right. We're doing this because X. Also, I saw a few examples in my early design career where designers would just do, here's how I would redesign Facebook. Here's Mm. how I would think about putting whatever uh, company through the filter of my experience. So being a designer in general, I think has given me all of these little ways to think about you build experience, you build a body of work, you have a portfolio that represents you and how you think regardless of your personal network Hmm. you go to an interview as a designer slap your portfolio on the table they just look at it and go yeah it looks amazing can you explain why you did this and if you can you've got the job exactly right yep it's not like this political hey i can woo Hmm. clients into doing x y and z so so that's another part of it your work impresses you know, people, your work speaks for yourself. And I think you exactly uh, want right. to like also not, didn't mean to stop you there. I feel no, design no. has such a power where uh, you can show the future because it's all about imagining what it can be and it replicates down the line to the work you put in. And I feel uh, I've experienced myself in, you know, I saw like, I admire how sometimes these concepts come in, like, you know, the futuristic iPhone looks like, and you kind of like, you know, and whoever kind of finds it relevant will buy it. You know, at the end of the day, it's not like, you know, uh, and I feel yeah, go on. I, I, I do have like another thought, but yeah, I want to hear 
the yeah, that's no, a great. I mean, I think you you articulated it perfectly. It's like you're pulling the future into the present. You're able to. It's like a cheat code for reality in many right. ways. You can show people stuff that doesn't exist without having to build every single component of it. Right. Exactly. There's another quote. I'm gonna completely mess it up, but if you <laughs> want to get people to. Um, build a ship you don't right. get material you don't get all the materials together and then tell them what to do you inspire them with tales of the right. you know, the high seas and etc etc right right and design is an incredible tool for mm. visualizing that which does not yet exist or organizing things mm. that don't yet exist and i think it's a shame that we've categorized that into a job title right? mm. like a designer does that Versus right. everybody that wants to move the world forward in some way should be able to leverage that skill set in Correct. some way. Like otherwise, you're stuck in the present forever. Correct. Forever. Yep. Yep. So being a better communicator, being a better designer, even if you're like you have a whiteboard and a pen, right? The you things just... that you can do, the ways in which you can affect reality, are much more significant than just you know sitting in the present and endlessly talking in loops about what already exists. Um, and then when it really clicked was Twitter. So mm. the quick over um, simplified example is I was messing around on Facebook before this. Mm. So I was posting my work on Facebook, which is like 300 people mm. that I've gone <laughs> to school with or gone to work with. Right, so like friends, family. 95% of them already don't care. <laughs> like they're not trying to buy graphic design services off me, right? Right. Not saying they don't care about me or they're not interested yeah. in like what I'm doing for work. Right. They might be, but they're not they're not struggling with the same things I'm struggling with or they're not trying to buy the things that I'm uh selling. It's something they don't want, pure simply, like you know, put it simple way. It's very yeah, very simple. I think this is a hard thing for a lot of people because a lot of people start their creator or entrepreneurial journeys, especially on the internet with mm. their existing networks. Right. And they get hugely discouraged when what they do doesn't resonate with the kids they went to school with. Correct. They don't care and they're never going to care. Right. And if you yet let that be the barrier to you starting what you're going to do, you're never going to get anything done. So yep. the thing that really got me on Twitter was, I think it was a Nassim Taleb quote, mm -hmm. the first one that really like went crazy. Mm -hmm. He retweeted it. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I was able to tag him Mm. that just set off a light bulb in my mind. Where I was like, wow, this is a really different platform where right. people who have, you know, achieved material levels of success, influence right. in the world are opening this app up and I can get a message in front of them. That is Correct. insane. That is, yeah. You know, Facebook is like a fan page that somebody mm -hmm. would never even think about checking or like an interest group. Mm -hmm. That network is just not set up that way. So as soon as I discovered Twitter, I was like, wow, this is like, you know, this is a cheat code <laughs> for reality. Like right. the fantasy interactive example I was describing, they still had to do all that PR and manual right. work and, yeah. hey, can uh, can we show you this? Can I schedule a demo, all that stuff? Whereas they could have just gone at American Airlines, at Delta, at blah, blah, blah. And publicly, Your shit sucks. Here's a better way to do it. And publicly broadcast so that not just American Airlines sees this, Southwest Airlines will also see because they tagged American Airlines and specifically mentioning them, right? Yeah, love it. I, I I feel the power of Twitter is so insane that I got into Nawal's DMs just by executing the Angel Philosopher. 
Incredible. And I didn't do anything. I don't know him. I never met him. <laughs> I have no connections. I am this nobody at that time. Uh, I have like zero following on Twitter. I have like basically nothing. But the work actually attracted him. The way he put he, it in his bio, right? I remember seeing he had yeah. it as his bio link. Yeah, he had almost for a year uh, had this that link. And the way you're you're telling the same thing, right? You you can reach, but you have to put it into work first. You know, without it. The ideas, just the ideas. Yeah, I think the permissionless philosophy is more about doing the work first and then taking advantage of the structure of the world mm. and the internet and Twitter and all of these things. Not, hey, can you give me a job? Mm. You know, like operating from the assumption that somebody out there can do it better than you, but they're just right. not going to. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great word. That's, that's it. That's that's a great uh, way of looking at permissionless execution. I love that. I I, I absolutely love that. We should you should read about this after this. <laughs> and I I think uh, you have to. That's what right. I think going back to that, putting that work first. You don't. You you. There are two ways. You can find an opportunity and then work. The permission less way is more amazing because you put the work and opportunity seeks you mm -hmm. and it mm -hmm. becomes like an inbound, uh, you know, it truly becomes like you are, you are the upper hand because you've created the work already. All they have to do is like either approve. Yeah. Let's collab. Get, get, you got yeah, the job. Yeah. yeah, it's true. And there's even a combination of those two where you're doing, if anybody's paying you to do anything, mm there is economic value in that thing you're producing. Mm. And the likelihood of that person being the only person in the world experiencing that problem and paying for it is zero. zero. Right. So there's a parallel path mm. to whatever it is you're doing in your day job. I'm not saying you're going to create a million-dollar business overnight by doing this. Yep. I'm saying there are... When you're doing the things that don't scale, you know, the Paul Graham idea, mm. they, those things are informing the things that can scale. Mm. Like through gathering experience, through like sitting one-on-one -on -one with people, through applying your right. skill set in a very manual and unscalable way, mm. you identify patterns, problems, right. things that could be repeated Mm. and it's a process it's like you slowly add a little bit of leverage here it's like instead of having a phone call with somebody to explain something for 45 minutes you record a video and you right. send that you right. save yourself 45 minutes every single time yep. correct and that's a, like a basic example there's obviously software where you can automate logic you can write mm -hmm. code you, there's there's a million different examples of this mm -hmm. um but it is more of just a constant lens that you apply over things where you're just trying to get a little bit more every day. Like mm. the leverage thing is a really good analogy because it's like you're just trying to kick the fulcrum <laughs> a little bit right. further over every right. day. Right. Love that. Yeah. And uh, you've, you're, you're uh, uh, fundamentally you're a designer and I believe, you know, you kind of like evolved from being just one identity to many, which I said like founder, creator and whatnot. Uh, and recently, I think you went ballistic being a content creator, be it like writing threads on Twitter, creating, you know, courses, capturing that 
creator economy is is another thing which you did like in a very seamless way uh my curiosity is like what was the transition like and what when did you like you know uh, again predominantly your 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 predominant figure in web3 as well so you kind of saw and you are kind of like manifesting the future and taking action i assume how did the journey is like and if someone who's listening say for example they're limiting themselves to being a designer how they can become a, a content creator in, in in this scenario yeah i think what's fascinating is people get way too attached to labels of stuff in general creator economy mm. web3 uh audience builder whatever you want to call it like i think people box themselves into these terms mm. and they forget about really all it is is the adaptation of your skill set your experience your point of view with what the world cares about at any given time right i think there's there's this like tension where people don't want to be seen as oh, i'm flip-flopping between subject matter or i'm this one day and then i'm that the other right, day right right and the truth is like if you put the focus on yourself and what you care about and just put everything through your filter of curiosity mm. you can't get caught up in that side of things so i think for me like never really attaching myself to those terms at least i don't feel like i have or i haven't tried to mm. has made me more successful in those worlds <laughs> than nice. i would have been if i tried to chase after them directly you know like wow. it's the idea that you're positioning yourself in a way that's like more informed by the principles of all this stuff than any given terminology. So if you're thinking about how the internet is changing the mm. way we conduct mm -hmm. business, socialization, all of like at Networking. the base layer, it's like right. you're going to get rewarded for being different and good. Right. And you're going to get rewarded for being able to solve people's problems. You're going to be able to get rewarded for if you can take something complicated and make it simple, you'll never ever run out of opportunity if mm -hmm. you have that skill set and you can tell people that. Mm. And that to me is a far more fundamental skill set and what you should focus on versus I'm the Web3 guy or I'm the NFT guy or mm. I'm the creator economy guy because I'm none of those things. Like mm. you said, I am maybe classically trained as a designer, mm. but I wouldn't even really think of myself that way I like if i had to use one word i definitely would use designer because it's the idea of taking something and organizing it or you know visualizing it yep. one experience and making it a smoother experience or like mm. you say a complicated visual and a simple vision like there's a the process of design is the organization of something there's mm. a pre and a post state right. and i definitely right. everybody does that mm -hmm. yeah some and at some level yes yeah and the yeah the idea that these terms kind of come up more as a a way for people to ground themselves or a way for like they're almost like media invented right remember when metaverse <laughs> was a thing yep yep it's like everybody on their earnings call is saying metaverse metaverse yeah, <laughs> yeah we're gonna build a metaverse and it's like what do you even mean yeah. you press them on any of it they have no right. clue what they're talking about right but because it's part of the meta narrative excuse the term overlap there hmm. they just have to say it and i think 
the people who will last a long time and the people who can like position themselves above any given trend are just focused on their skill set. Like just mm. focused on what am I great at? The chance that you're going to be, you're going to swing from expert in this area to that area overnight mm. is really slim. Like people don't really do that. It's more, you know, packaging up all of your experience and, and putting it out in a way that is like incredibly unique that avoids attaching yourself to something that will be either irrelevant or just the term the the, the space moves on from the term right because web3 nfts is no real different than creator economy right and then there's yep. probably a version of whatever they called creator economy probably social media right, <laughs> right. they just there's just being updated because humans like shiny new terms and they like <laughs> to feel like they're, you know, part of the thing that's happening right now. Buzzwords. But weirdly, attaching yourself to that stuff is how you get left behind because mm. you don't, you're then like, oh, I can't get distracted by this shiny object or that shiny object. And in reality, like, I think it's as all things in life probably come down to, it's like, you just have to understand yourself mm. and you, the, the more you just focus on like, okay, what am I genuinely interested in and good at? And can I, can I even examine like relationships I've had or situations I've been in where people will point out to me, you're really good at that. Or, you know, you seem to be able to focus on that a lot longer than other people. That's the thing to focus on. And like visualized value just became that for me through all of these periods of iteration where now I feel like it's just a filter for anything. I can mm. take something I learn, put it through the filter of visualized value, read a book, put it through the filter of visualized value, sit in a meeting, invest in a startup, you know, whatever. It's right. just a, a vehicle for capturing my interests. And I think that's not saying that's an easy thing to do, but that right. to me is a more, future-proof way to approach it and being less precious too like being mm. less uh boxed in by these terms and like it's uh another interesting thing you see happen with people is like they can't come with the narrative because they've they've stuck themselves somewhere right because they feel as though the people that were interested in what they had to say when they started their journey are not interested in this part or that part or that part. But if you think about like a musician, right? I'm sure you have examples where mm -hmm. like there's a musician you love where the album where you got introduced to their music is your favorite album. Right. And then the stuff they keep bringing out, there's a few exceptions in my life where I was like, right. <laughs> okay, this every other one is great or like the most recent one is great. Right. But there's a point in time where you're introduced where that music just hits for you. Right. And anybody who makes anything, I think that's true. It's like... Mm you're going to go through seasons. People that listen to your stuff or watch your stuff go through seasons. And to try and just perpetually satisfy the people mm. that joined at the start, you actually miss, like, I think people don't want you to do that either. Mm. Like, they want to see your ev evolution. Correct. Like, I've definitely experienced that with all of the people I've made great friends with over the course <laughs> of my short internet journey. Like, you see them evolve. <laughs> right. And you love it and encourage it and you want people to like lean into their curiosity because it gets super tedious if you, if you don't do that.
Yeah, I think uh, you're you're absolutely right, and that's a great advice. You basically have to rely on. I think it all boils down to being self-aware of what really you are good at and where do you really find fun. You know, hundred percent. I was actually trained as a software developer when I did my graduation, and I never liked it like one single bit of it. I hated all my college, but you know, for whatever reason, my parents forced me to like because you stuck of, it out. Yeah. But I, what I truly enjoy is community building, and I truly enjoy building products, and I truly enjoy solving problems of myself and putting it out so other people can find it, you know, relevant. That is basically what I when I discovered that is when I take chances and try things out. And so I feel one thing, you know, in a way you did as well is try hundred things, and one or two things work. I, I'm mm-hmm. I'm sure you have like so many course ideas, but I feel predominantly build oneself wise is something that resonated with thousands and millions of people. That's why it's like clicking. That's something people want. And to yeah. put it in that position, you created I feel like you know so many things before, right? So oh yeah, yeah. And yeah, there's it, a good. Um, I think it's a. I think it's Miles Davis. It's like 80 tracks, 80 B sides for every A side. Mm, yeah, love that. Like another music analogy, just like you have these hits, just a function of like reps, where right, and power laws within the work you do. Well, there's obviously power laws in the market at large, like who gets the most people watching their stuff, buying mm. their stuff, etc. But then mm. even within your own body of work, there's this crazy power law where you have one sentence right that drives you know two years of results, right. and then you're back on the hamster wheel looking for the next thing. But you have to trust your curiosity to get to something that's actually compelling and interesting versus like staying stuck in that place because that work is that work is done. Um, and you're building on your understanding. So like you're almost un- subconsciously reinforcing mm. the work you've already done. Like if you keep heading in the direction of your curiosity, yeah. right. everything else kind of falls into line behind that. It's, it's pretty magic. I think clearly this poster says it all. Keep it going, right? Like, you know. <laughs> That's it. That's I appreciate it. that. Keep keep going. I think, you know, you just have to like figure out and uh, trust in yourself and, you know, find a way. I do have a couple of things and I want to be mindful with your time as well. You've, you're one person, you know, I took uh, literally your playbook when I was building Shout Out and I really like, you know, like the way you did things, which is being transparent and being building things in public, like truly like sharing the highest lows and lessons and whatnot. Where did that philosophy come from? And how did that impact visualize value as a, as a whole business? I, th- I can't remember exactly where the philosophy came from, but I think the root of it is like, how do I get people that don't know me to trust me? Mm. There's a lot of people selling stuff on the internet there's a lot of right. false promises. There's a lot of people that are a little bit uh, dodgy with the truth, shall we say, right? right Manipulate right. the narrative. Right. Yep. So I think the shortcut to getting people to trust you is to just be completely transparent about what you're doing and mm. um, answer people's questions when they have them. Like I started posting the revenue screenshots way back in the right. day, which I think is a huge... yeah was a huge like boon to 
the narrative in general. Um, also conducting everything on Twitter, it almost feels like that's the default where mm. you, um, if you start out that way, people are invested in the growth of the thing. And the only way you can really right. keep people apprised of the fact that it's still working is to be transparent right. about the numbers and all. And, and like Twitter itself, you kind of see the stuff growing from the mm. outside, right? It's not like you're looking at these static things. You see the social proof of mm. the account gaining yeah. followers, the, you know, the courses themselves or the, the content relevant to all of that stuff being consumed by more people. So there's a combination of being intentionally transparent and then just the forcing function of doing it in public where people see it happening in real time. Um, but it is, I, to this day, it's still the best. Uh, mm. Like if I'm ever in doubt of like, what do I talk about? How do I think about doing this? Just like Let's do it. rip off all the veneer and just say what's happening. And mm. like the responses you get when you do that, whether publicly or privately, are always way more rich, compelling, interesting than really trying to, you know, manufacture a narrative of some description. I don't know if you know this, you've you've kind of invented this thing called transparency time. <laughs> and I, I literally like, you know, copied every boo of what I did with Shoutout. And I really like that. I think you kind of like, you know, putting yourself in a vulnerable position, like someone might attack you or someone might praise you. But mm -hmm. if you, if you don't do that, you're still kind of like, you know, stuck with your boxed, uh, strategy. It's happening either way. Right. Exactly. Yeah. People definitely going to like, you know, uh, attack you in one way or the other. So might as well you take the charge so that you have the satisfaction. Uh, Love this. I definitely have so many questions, but I don't want to get into all of them. I only have, I think, three more minutes. But I think what I'm, what I'm trying to do is I'm kind of making it fun as well for listeners. And I'm kind of, I want to introduce this thing called Rapid Fire 5, which okay. where I will just ask five questions, you know, whatever that comes to your mind. We'd love to like hear your thoughts. Uh, first question for you. One creator you are currently admiring right now. Oh, I'm going to go Aaron Alto, my boy. Yeah, I love, love him. I, I love his visuals. He's been doing killing it. He recently, like, you know, did some permissionless work for you. Love that. Uh, yeah, he's my favorite too. You, you're, you come from England. Like, I, I'm sure you know uh, the, the game cricket, the sport. Who's your favorite yeah. cricketer? I'm going to have to pass. I know nothing about cricket. Oh, my God. Really? Wow. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Nice. Uh, what's your favorite permissionless project? Oh, um, I think the archive, a guy called Pierce Kearns did uh, the air table. No, an air table where he put all of the, the pieces in, searchable by keywords and stuff. I'll send you a link to it. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Good. Cool. That's good. Love that. Yeah, we'll we'll put it in the show notes as well. Uh this will be this is the tough one, I guess. What's your favorite poster you've ever designed? I think it has to be the one behind you just for the the level of resonance and like the amount of times it pops up. Mm. Just you know, most days I see a reference to it. And I think it's had the biggest impact. I think it's probably the one that people refer to right. the most, which I think 
qualifies it as the most there successful. Go. There you go. Look at that. I appreciate <laughs> that. Last thing. And I saw you, you're in advertising and, you know, I kind of like also uh, kind of got trained in advertising a little bit in my childhood. And for some reason, most of the designers love Porsche. What's your favorite Porsche, you know, car, if you want to like ever imagine like, you know, owning one? Yeah. So mine has to be the uh, 911 GT3. Nice. I drove one. Last year, I think it was last year, Celia got me an anniversary present, go and drive one. It, wow. It's a phenomenal piece of equipment. And they're just, I think the design community appreciates mm. Porsche and even maybe more specifically the 911 mm-hmm. because they, it's almost perfect to the point where they barely update it each time. Yes. Like the iterations on that car, right. you know, they'll change a little piece here, a little line there, right. but the DNA of the thing you can't deny you can stand like a 60 year old one next to one from shipped out the factory yesterday and you can tell that they're related it's pretty amazing story and amazing brand it's like a coke bottle you can recognize from anywhere you know incredible incredible man i i love i i i wish we have more time in you know to discuss more do another one we do another one maybe you come back as a second you know repeating guest but i love you jack uh, what should I say? You know, I I, le- I love you. I admire you for your work and for your attitude and for your uh, just thinking. Like you know, your your service to others. And yeah, wish you wish you everything and success. And you know, and let's keep keep being as friends and uh, keep killing it. And I you know love to see you more on Twitter. Your one liners are like amazing. I don't know if people said this to you, but I actually sometimes Thank put you. Mark and refer back to them. So. And thanks, Thank thanks much, for uh, being being on the podcast, guest one. I hope audience, you know, who are listening, love this conversation and get a, get one or two takeaways so that you can implement in your life. And that's the goal, you know. If we impact at least one person, we've done the job. Yeah, indeed, mate. Thank you so much for having me. It's Absolutely. been a pleasure. Love, love, love. Uh, always talking to you. Thanks, Jack. Mate, thank you. <laughs>